This evening we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled Job. With this as our focus, if you would, let's open our Bibles now to Job chapter 7. As you make your way to the seventh chapter of Job, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that Job was a God-fearing man who lived in the land of Uz. And while we don't know exactly when the events of this book took place, some scholars assure us that Job probably walked the earth during the days of Abraham. Uh, Well, regardless of the exact date, uh, what we do know for sure is that Job was a man who feared the Lord and who also shunned evil. And not only that, uh, but he was also a blameless man who offered daily sacrifices in order to atone for his sins. And Job was a loving father uh, who also offered regular sacrifices for the sins of his children. As a matter of fact, it was back in the beginning of this book when we learned about the way that Job would send for his kids and then sanctify them by rising up early in the morning. And it was in those morning hours when he would offer burnt offerings for all of his offspring. Well, in light of all these things, we shouldn't be surprised to learn that the Lord referred to Job as his servant. The Lord referred to Job as his servant. And would it be to God that the Lord would also recognize us as his servants? But as we consider this place of of connection with God, I, I want to remind you, it was back in the first chapter of this book where the Lord spoke of his servant Job in this way. He says, my servant Job, there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. To sum it up, the Lord was referring to Job as his faithful servant, and that's what he was. And while it's true that the Lord had blessed his faithful servant with seven sons and three daughters, the Lord had also blessed him with possessions beyond measure, and as a result, Job was actually one of the wealthiest men living in all the land. At the same time, the Lord also ended up allowing a fallen angel named Satan to test the metal of Job's faith, and when all was said and done, the enemy attacked his family, which resulted in the death of his ten kids. The enemy also attacked his finances, resulting in the loss of his livestock. And finally, the enemy attacked his physical health, resulting in painful boils all over his body. And listen, if all this wasn't bad enough, his wife ended up encouraging him to simply curse God and die. She wanted to be rid of him. And not only that, but the friends of Job soon showed up with the promise of providing him with comfort and counsel. Unfortunately for him, well, it didn't take long for his friend Eliphaz to accuse him of sinning against the Lord. And while he never came right out and explicitly accused Job of wrongdoing, he did wax eloquent about a mysterious apparition that showed up shrouded in stealth in the middle of the night in order to share secret information about the sins of Job. And in this way, Eliphaz was being used by a deceiving spirit to go and gaslight the servant of God. Well, with all this in mind, I I want to remind you that that it was in our study last week when we learned about the way that Job defended his sincere faith in the Lord. And, And while he was willing to consider any evidence that Eliphaz might offer, uh, he was also convinced that his you know, integrity remained. He, he believed that he was still upright in his integrity, that his integrity was intact. And, and in this way, Job demonstrated true humility as he invited his friends to provide him with the evidence of his guilt before God. 
I think it takes a humble heart to, to be able to, to listen to somebody making accusations against you that, that you disagree with. And yet, that's exactly what we ought to do. Somebody comes to us with accusations against us. We, we might disagree with them, but at least be humble enough to hear it out. At least be thankful enough to know that at least they're, they're looking out for us and wanting our, wanting our best. At the same time, though, listen, Job was still struggling to understand why the Lord was, in fact, allowing him to suffer. And I'll remind you, it was in our study last week. That's when we learned about the prayer request that Job presented to the Lord as he actually asked his creator to hasten the day of his death. He just wanted to die. And now here in our text tonight, we find Job continuing to communicate his complaints as he revealed the, the bitterness that he felt within his heart. Now, as we continue to consider Job's complaints, it's important for us to realize that this was an extremely convoluted situation, which ended up causing a great deal of confusion. Job was confused because he didn't understand that he was suffering a spiritual attack of Satan. And in the absence of that information, Job was left in a state of confusion as he tried to make sense of why God was allowing him to suffer in this way, knowing that he had been a faithful servant of the Lord. At the same time, his friends were confused because they were certain that Job was being punished for secret sins. And seeing how this point of view had been confirmed by some sort of evil spirit, they were presenting counsel from the wrong perspective. And so just adding to the confusion. And with all this being the case, we shouldn't be be surprised to find out that all four of these guys uh, began engaging in a conversation which was based in bitter confusion. And with all that being the case, it's important for us to remember that God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. No, instead, he is the author of peace. And and those who are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit will also walk in the peace of the Lord. While those who are walking in their flesh or, or following the enemy, then confusion will follow them all along the way. That being the case, it's crucial for those who want to understand the book of Job. Well, we should critically examine this unfolding conversation in light of the full counsel of God's word because there are many confusing things found in this book. I'm guessing that uh, most, if not all of us, have tried to read through the book of Job only to end up a little bit on the confused side. Why? Well, because the conversation is confusing. <laughs> These guys were confused. And this is just a record of all of that confusion. And, and, and so as we make our way through the text before us tonight, we're going to continue carefully comparing the complaints of Job to the correct counsel that we find in the doctrinal books of the Bible. And so with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of this book as we turn our attention now to Job chapter 7. If you would look with me there, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Here Job cries out, Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man? like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages. So I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? And the night be ended, for I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. 
Now, here in the beginning of this chapter, we find Job attempting to justify his complaints, and he did this by insisting that he was living like a hired man who was waiting for his wages after working a hard, uh, you know, a hard, uh, long week there, but, but rather than receiving righteous rewards for all of his good works as he set out to serve the Lord, Job felt like he had been robbed and ripped off as he endured sleepless nights and months of pain without purpose. I like the way that the scholars who created the Bible in basic English, they render verses 2 and 3 in this way. As a servant desiring the shades of evening and a workman looking for his payment, so I have for my heritage months of pain to no purpose and nights of weariness are given to me. Now, as we consider this complaint, we can see here that Job had already come to the conclusion that the Lord was rewarding him with weariness for his wages. He had been serving the Lord. He'd been faithful to serve the Lord. He was walking in a way that was upright before God. And for his reward, weariness. And not only that, but he was also convinced that the pain that he was enduring had absolutely no purpose. That's what he says, that he's received months of pain to no purpose. And as we consider the full counsel of God's word, we know that this is most certainly not the case. To prove my point, I want to take a moment to consider Paul's perspective of the Old Testament. And it's actually 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul recounts a few of the stories that we find in the Old Testament. And then after referring to those, to those Old Testament stories as, as examples, that's what he calls them, examples for us. Paul then goes on to declare this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, now all these things happen to them as examples and They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other other words here, every event that we find written in the Old Testament was recorded for our admonition. And what this means then is that the Lord had a perfect purpose in the pain that he allowed the Old Testament saints to endure. And this includes Job. And while we can be certain that this wasn't the only purpose and why God allowed all these things to happen to Job, we can be certain that he was incorrect, that as Job was incorrect, to conclude that his pain was without purpose. Because even as we continue to make our way through this incredible book, we will learn examples. We will learn uh, about how we should respond to pain and suffering through the, the example of Job. And so with that, it's important important for us to understand that his perspective was wrong. His point of view was incorrect. God was not allowing him to suffer pain with no purpose. And just, you know, just for our benefit, if for no other reason, right? Again, God had multiple reasons why, but for, for the sake of this study tonight, listen, Job was being allowed to suffer pain uh, in the way that the Lord allowed it for our benefit. Further proof of my point is found in James chapter 5. There James reminds his readers about the perseverance of Job and the outcome which was intended by the Lord. Now we'll eventually find out about the outcome and we'll see how the Lord ends up rewarding Job after all is said and done. But again, James is pointing to Job, the perseverance of Job, as an example for us. 
And so was, was Job suffering pain with no purpose? Absolutely not. There was a righteous purpose in why God was allowing this. The Lord used Job to reveal that he is very compassionate and merciful to those who trust in him. And with all this being the case, we can be certain that Job was clearly confused when he insisted that he was suffering from pain, which was being poured out without purpose. Christian, listen, the Lord had a perfect purpose in the pain that he allowed in the life of Job, and and the same is true for us here tonight. The Lord has a perfect purpose in the pain that he allows And while it might feel like there are times when the Lord is allowing us to suffer pointless pain, I encourage you to remember that our feelings, well, our feelings, they can be completely misleading. This was precisely the point that the prophet was making in Jeremiah chapter 17. There, Jeremiah declares this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Christian, listen, our heartfelt feelings can deceive us if we, if we allow it. Our heartfelt feelings can lead us astray. Those who are led by their gut, those gut feelings or those emotions or those passions, those who are led by these things are oftentimes led astray. Those who attempt to understand the plans and the purposes of God uh, by, by the feelings they have, well, they're probably going to be led astray. And so we ought to set aside the feelings that we have. Now, now feelings in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad, but they can't be trusted either. You, you can feel a certain way about something, and those feelings can be wrong. And oftentimes they are, because the heart, according to Jeremiah, is deceitful above all things. That's right. The biggest liar you know in your life, the person who you know you can't believe one word they say, that person isn't as deceitful as your heart. Yep. Oh, not me. I mean, I would never, I would never deceive myself. But you, most certainly. Yeah, listen, we will deceive ourselves without giving it much thought at all. That's for this reason that we have to stop relying on how we feel about things. I can't even tell you how many times I hear people say, well, I feel this way and I feel that way. And I'm just, oh, here we go. Do you? Do you feel that way? What does the Bible say about it? I'd much rather hear Christians say, well, the Bible says, yeah, but I feel this way. Yeah, but the Bible says, who knows more? Your fleeting feelings or the word of God? We need to keep this straight in our lives so that we can walk according to wise counsel and not according to how we feel about things. With this as the goal, let's continue to consider the cause for Job's complaints here and and let's continue to consider how he felt about everything. Uh, If you would look with me here at Job chapter 7, we'll pick up our study at verse 5. Here he declares, My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. Without debate, Job was suffering in every way imaginable. His children had perished. 
His business was bankrupt after bandits made off with his livestock. His wife wanted him to die. His friends were convinced that he was guilty before God. Simply put, Job was suffering from emotional grief, financial stress, and relational conflict. And if that wasn't enough, flies were laying eggs in the boils that covered his body, and as a result, maggots were crawling forth from those wounds. Just let that image resonate in your minds here for a moment. The scholars who created the New Living Translation render verse 5 in this way, my body is covered with maggots and scabs, my skin breaks open, oozing with pus. I love Bible scholars. (laughs) And all the various translations we can get our hands on here. And with this image seared into our psyche now, can you imagine the incredible pain that he's enduring as, as maggots are breaking forth from these boils? As we consider the emotional grief, the financial stress, the relational conflict, and the physical pain of maggots eating away at wounds you can't even reach with your hands, we shouldn't be surprised to learn that Job felt helpless and hopeless. And it's there in verse 6 where he declares, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. That word hope is translated from a Hebrew word which was used in reference to the joyful and confident expectation of divine deliverance. And it's sad to say that Job had lost all hope. He had lost all joyful and confident expectation of divine deliverance. And the reason why was because he had been confused by his feelings. He had been confused by the way he felt about what he was going through. Think about it. Job felt like the Lord was allowing him to suffer purposeless pain. And as a result, he lost all hope in the divine deliverance of the Lord. And listen, the heart that has lost hope in the divine deliverance of the Lord is suffering the greatest level of anguish uh, that a person can, can begin to endure. Because, you know, if you're suffering and, and you're going through it and, and, and it's just unbearable, but you have that hope, that deliverance is on the way. You have that hope that it won't be long before you're delivered from the pain and the suffering. Then you can endure it. But when you lose hope, it just makes everything else that much worse. And with that, I want to consider how Job described this hopeless anguish here in our text tonight. So if you would look with me again here at Job chapter 7, we'll pick up our study beginning at verse 8, because here Job declares, the eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Now that word anguish, which is found there in verse 11, is translated from a Hebrew word which was used of those who were enduring extreme affliction while dealing with distressful troubles and tribulations. And according to Job, the extreme anguish that he was enduring, well, he felt like this gave him the right to complain about the bitterness that was overflowing from his soul. That's how he felt about it. He felt like since he's going through it all, he's got the right to complain about it all as well. And with this in mind, I should take a moment to remind you that those who allow bitterness 
to take root within their hearts, they end up defiling all of the people that they come into contact with. This was precisely the point that Paul was making in Hebrews chapter 12. It's there where he encourages us to look carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Think about that for a moment. When somebody allows a root of bitterness to spring up within their soul, they end up causing trouble for others, and as a result, many are defiled. Those who are filled with bitterness end up defiling the minds of others as they spread their cancerous complaints into the minds of those who hear them. And that's exactly how complaints are. Complaints are like cancer. Just, just think about that next time you complain, that, that what you're doing is you're placing verbal cancer into the mind of the person you're talking to. I like the way that James explains it in James chapter 3. It's there where he warns us about the way we use our mouths. And he says that every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs, thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Simply put, listen, if the well of our heart is filled with bitterness, then it's probably best to keep our mouths closed. If the, the well of our heart is filled with bitterness, then it's probably just best to keep our mouths closed lest we defile others with cancerous complaints. I like the way that Jesus summed it up in Matthew chapter 15. It's there where he declares, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Christian, listen, there's a whole lot of people very concerned about what's going into our mouths without any concern for what's coming out. People want to talk about, you know, they're, you know, having the right diet, abstaining from shrimp and pork and these sorts of things, and eating plant-based meats, which is just ridiculous. But I don't even know what plant-based meat means. But but a whole lot of people very focused on what's going into their mouth, but then what comes out just is just defiling. Just heresy, just nonsense, you know. We need to be careful with what comes out of our mouth. And, and listen, I get it. This is probably a challenge for most, if not all of us. Because it's just so easy to just say what comes to mind for many of us. And knowing that we've been called to do all things without complaining, we need to be careful. And yeah, even when we feel completely justified in our complaints. 
In order to prove my point, let's continue to consider the complaints of Job. And if you would, let's pick up our study of Job chapter 7. Look with me there beginning at verse 12, because here he turns his attention to the Lord now. And he asks the Lord, am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. Here in these verses, we find Job complaining about the way that he uh, kept being woken up from his sleep with horrific dreams and terrifying visions that he attributed to the Lord and seeing how he wasn't even able to, to get a good night's sleep. His soul longed to be strangled to death so that it could escape his tormented body. He's saying, my soul wants to strangle me so that I can just get out of this body. Job even went as far as asking the Lord to leave him alone as if God was the one who was filling his mind with those fearful dreams in the middle of the night. As a matter of fact, look with me again here at Job chapter 7. We'll pick up at verse 16. Here Job declares, I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone, for my days are but a breath. What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Here in these verses we find Job, he's asking the Lord to just leave him alone. And while he acknowledged that the Lord was in fact testing his faith, he was also pleading with the Lord to provide him with some level of relief. You know, when, when you're sick, at least, you know, if you can just take enough NyQuil, you know, you can at least sleep, right? And, and, and he couldn't sleep. Why? No NyQuil back then. But he would be woken up with these dreams and these nightmares. He's like, can't, can't you just give me a, a night of rest? Can't you just give me a moment to swallow my saliva, which is just another way of saying, can't, can't you just let me catch my breath for a moment here? Can't you give me a moment in one day that I'm not being put to the test? With all this in mind, there should be no doubt that Job was a man who was completely confused about the real reason for his torment. You see, the Lord wasn't torturing Job with boils and bad dreams. No, instead, the suffering of Job was caused by Satan. And while it's true that the Lord was allowing the enemy to torment Job, well, it's also true that the Lord had a perfect purpose in the pain that he was allowing. Unfortunately for Job, he was still confused as he struggled to understand why God was punishing him. And in order to prove my point, let's pick up our study of Job chapter 7. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 20. Here Job goes on to ask here, Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am burdened uh, to, uh, so that I'm a burden to myself. Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. Here in the final verses of this chapter, we find Job, he's still struggling to understand the reason for why he was suffering. And the reason why? Well, it was due to the fact that, uh, you know, he, he still thought that the Lord was punishing him. So he's, he's really wrestling with this because, again, remember, Job had done his best to be a blameless servant of the Lord. He had walked in the fear of God. He was an upright man, and the Lord even acknowledges this. 
And so he's thinking, what have I done? What's my transgression? Can you tell me what, what, you know, how do I atone for this? How do I make it right? How can I find relief? He's looking for redemption. And still, all of these were just loaded questions that were based in his confusion because he felt this way. You see, it didn't even cross his mind that he was suffering a spiritual attack of the enemy. And the reason why is because, you know, he had been a blameless believer who was living his life for the Lord. And so the idea of some sort of spiritual attack from from fallen angels didn't even cross his mind. And as we consider his confusion, we should take a moment to realize that, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's, even for us here today, it's difficult for us to determine the reason for why we might be suffering. You know, when, when, when we start suffering in some sort of way, whether it's a physical ailment or we get fired from our job or whatever the case may be, we start thinking, what, is God punishing me? What is this? What's going on? And listen, there are times when our suffering is simply the product of self-induced stupidity. I know, not us. No, no, not. We would never do anything that would induce our own suffering, right? Of course we would. And it's sad to say that this is probably more common than we'd like to confess that we did something that brought, you know, a, a bad outcome upon ourselves. It happens all the time. At the same time, there are those. You know, when, when they start receiving, you know, some sort of suffering, it actually is a spiritual spanking from the Lord. And we know that the, that the Lord is like a loving father who corrects his children. And, and backsliding believers will eventually find themselves on the painful end of the Lord's loving correction. So there are times when our suffering is actually a spiritual spanking. But then there are those times when the Lord allows us to suffer the spiritual attack of the enemy. And we see this throughout the scriptures, beginning with, you know, Eve there in the garden. We see Jesus being, you know, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. You know, we see, you know, Satan asking for Peter to sift him like wheat. We find the enemy bringing a thorn in the flesh to Paul. So we we certainly see times when the Lord allows the enemy to attack his people. And while we might feel like the Lord is punishing us for no good reason at all, the fact of the matter is that the Lord always has a perfect purpose in the pain and the suffering that he allows. And listen, this is true no matter how we feel about it. With all this in mind, it's important for us to understand that there will be times when we ourselves are confused about the reason for our suffering. It might even be that you, yourself, tonight, are suffering in some sort of way and you don't know why. It might be self-induced stupidity. It might be the loving correction of the Lord, or it might be a spiritual attack of the enemy, and you really can't make sense of it. You don't know what it is and why you're enduring it. But whatever the case, I encourage you to follow the instructions that the Apostle Peter presented in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's there where he declares this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, 
Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Christian, listen, whenever we find ourselves in the middle of some sort of fiery trial, whenever we find ourselves suffering for some sort of reason and we don't know why, the first decision that we ought to make is to simply humble ourselves before the Lord. Don't go straight to the, well, I feel this way arguments. I feel bad, why is God allowing this? No, humble yourself before the Lord, recognizing that He's a sovereign God, and he knows knows what he's doing. Imagine that. God actually knows what he's doing. Therefore, we should just prayerfully enter the throne room of grace to, to seek the help that we need. And there at the throne of Jesus, we can cast our anxieties at the feet of our Savior as we rest in the knowledge that he cares for us. How do we know that he cares for us? Well, remember the cross where he died for us? Yeah. You think somebody that lays his life down for you doesn't care for you? Of course he cares for us. He loves us. And he has a perfect plan for us. Therefore, let's humble ourselves, recognizing that God is God. Let's let him be God. And let's prayerfully come before the throne room of grace to seek the help that we need. At the same time, remembering that the devil and his demons are looking for every opportunity to torment us with the fiery darts of demonic deception. And knowing that the devil and his demons are looking for every opportunity to attack us, and there will be times when the Lord allows it, well, we need to keep our guard up and stay sober. You see, the enemy might use well-meaning friends who come to counsel, and yet the counsel is, you know making us feel worse. They might use horrific dreams and visions as they fire those, those fiery darts into our minds in the middle of the night. They might even appear as an angel of light whispering beautiful lies into our ears. And knowing that this is all a possibility, we would do well to recognize what Peter says here in these verses. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant, knowing that our adversary, the devil, is walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We are called to resist him. Regardless of the way that the enemy attacks, the born-again believer has been called to resist him, and we can rejoice in knowing that the sober-minded saint who is standing steadfast in the strength of our Savior will be filled with the power that we need so that we can fight the good fight of faith. So before we start complaining because our fifis are all torn up, before we start, you know, I feel bad, I feel this way, I feel like God doesn't love me, and before we go down all those roads, before we start complaining and spreading verbal cancer into the minds of others, let's cast our cares upon the Lord. Let's bring our anxieties to God knowing that he cares for us. And then let's stand in the strength of our Savior, walking by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we can gain the victory over every single attack. Let's pray.